Welcome to episode number 109 of the Chris Rose Rotation, a production of John Boy Media and presented to you by our good friends over at SeatGeek. And boy, am I super excited because I've got one of my favorite guys in all of baseball, Mark Grant, the Padres analyst alongside Don Orsillo, one of the best broadcast boots around. Mud, it is good to see you where you're joining us from 1979 Wrigley Field. I love the look behind you, dude. Oh, Rosebud, it is so good to talk to you. How about, you know, I, I grew up in the Chicagoland area, Joliet. I grew up to love baseball, love the Cubs by watching WGN. And this is one of the old, <laughs> I took a I took a screenshot of like, an, I, I will go, I am so weird. You know me. And I know I'm going off on a tangent already, but. I'll go on YouTube and I'll just watch old Harry Carey, Jimmy Pearsall games from Comiskey Park when they were the White Sox team. I'll go back and watch Jack Brickhouse and Vince Lloyd and Lou Boudreau and Milo Hamilton for the Cubs. So that's where I got this background. But it's so good to talk to you. I've always been a big fan. I love your style. I love what you do. So, hey, let's uh, let's lead off. Because I'm the leadoff man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as a kid growing up in Juliet, do you remember the first time you went to Wrigley? I do. Uh, Donnie and I talked about this the other day, actually. And, you know, that's the beauty of baseball. You have a blowout game. The Dodgers were beating them 10 to 1. So my mind starts thinking of things to uh, keep the crowd engaged watching on TV. But I remember I was seven years old. I went with my uncle, my cousin, who both pitched professionally, by the way, and my dad uh, to Wrigley Field. And I remember always watching those Cubs games seeing it in black and white because the grand household didn't have a color TV till I was like 12. <laughs> so yes. I remember going to Wrigley, just all the chaos underneath the bleachers, guy yelling scorecard. My dad bought a scorecard and a pencil and then walking through and then smelling all the food and then walking up that tunnel at Wrigley, Chris, where you walk up the stairs and all of a sudden you see the green Ivy. You see the buildings across the street. You see the players running on the field and then the crowd. It's like, oh, my gosh, this place is real. I've been in my dark basement for the past three, you know, three, four years watching on TV. Now I'm actually here. So that was uh, uh, I was hooked before, but then I really got hooked when seeing a game in person. So who was your guy? Who did you pretend to be in the backyard? Because I got to be honest, for, for me, it was Dwayne Kuyper growing up. Really? Pretend, oh, yeah. Yeah. As a, and I told him this before. Yeah, I, I told him this before. I was like, yeah. he's like, wait a second, Chris. You pretended to be the guy who hit one major league home run in a dozen seasons. He's like, why would you well, ever do that? Yeah, uh, you mentioned a guy who is very near and dear to my heart. He's like a brother. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne Kuyper is probably my best friend in all of baseball. He and Mike Kruko. Mm -hmm. um, but it, this guy that I wanted to be and loved to watch was at the end of his career, and that was Ernie Banks. Oh. The Cubs back then, in, in, you know, poor Ernie Banks, never played in a playoff game in his career. Uh, he and Billy Williams, Ron Santo. I mean, I could name that team. Uh, Jim Hickman, Don Kessinger, Randy Hundley. Uh, I can go on and on. Uh, Fergie Jenkins. Um, but I wanted to be like uh, Ernie Banks. Remember, he, had, he held the bat and kind of like just with his fingers right there, kind of real loose and imitating him in the backyard playing wiffle ball and then you know, sweet swinging Billy Williams. <laughs> Remember how Billy Williams used to like, he would practice his swing. He would spit and then hit the spit, hit his spit. Do you remember that? I don't know if you remember, but that's what he used to do. He used to spit. He said that helped him on the timing of the curveball, to stay back on the curveball. <laughs> so <laughs> we would do that. that. Exactly. Right. When you can practice hitting your spit. 
<laughs> so er, er, Ernie Banks, Ernie Banks and the Cubs were my guys. So when you uh, were you crushed by what happened with like the black cat in 69? Were you old enough to know that? I do. Yeah, I was young, but I do remember that because I remember watching all the time. The Mets, obviously, they went on to win it that year. That was the year. The, was that the amazing? No, that was the miracle Mets because yeah. the Amazons were at 62, I believe. I, I, I get the years mixed up. But um, yes, uh, because they had such a lead in August and then they tanked and, you know, the Chicago crowd, the Chicago fans, everybody, you know, wanting a winner because, you know, 1908, the whole, the whole thing. And, uh, but it did not, it did not, uh, it did not prevent me from still, you know, rooting for the, the Cubs each and every year. They're, they're, they were my team, man. I, I loved coming home from school. No lights back then, Chris, as you well right. know. They didn't get the lights till 1988. But um, I remember watching games, extra innings, and it started to get dark, and they'd have to call the game because it got too dark, and they'd have to resume it the next day if that team was still in town. So, yeah, those were the days. They weren't any different than us little leaguers back in the day. Sorry, guys, no. it's too dark. Can't see the ball. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, now, you grew up in Cleveland? Yeah, yeah, suburb of Cleveland, Shaker Heights, oh. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you and I were on opposite ends of the rooting train in 2016. Like you listen, you're you've been so ingrained in San Diego the last several decades, yeah. but when the Cubs won it all, and this is going to break my heart I, that we're even talking about this. We, 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 did you resort to being like a 7-year-old again? I was. I got emotional. I did. I really did. It's, it, even though my association with the Padres for as long as it's been, there's always that soft spot, a soft spot in my heart because any fan, um, you know, we like you and I are so fortunate to be in sports. You grow up in a certain region. You love that team. Maybe you go work for another ball club, but there's always that little soft spot in your heart. And I remember where I was. In fact, the, when they when they won the pennant, I was at home in Joliet at my high school class reunion that night. Oh, my God. And there were people in the bars, like literally, like crying, sobbing, and I, and that kind of, I, I didn't sob, but I, I got emotional because it's been a long time. There are generations of Cubs fans that had not seen this or witnessed it. And that's why it was so. That's why it was so special. Yeah, that's the way I felt. I mean, both my parents are gone, unfortunately, and now sports has been such an important <clears throat> part of not only what I've done for a living, but who <clears throat> my family is and our sure. DNA. I, t you know, as Midwesterners, we share this because there's so little mm -hmm. to do where we're from. Like the weather <laughs> always sucks. Like we have this little bond. We're just this tight knit yep. community and you pass it on from generations to generations. So when something good comes in your life, you're yeah. like, yeah, I want to cherish that forever. You know what, Chris, you make a great point because now, like when I go to, um, or even like during the off season, fortunate enough to live in San Diego where, you know, I'm in flip-flops and dry fit, you know, the shorts, the t-shirt every, every day I, I live in that stuff. So I'll check the weather. My mom and dad still live in the house I grew up in, mm. in Joliet. And um, I think I, I look on the weather app and it's like six degrees and it's like, and I, and I think back to my, I say, what the heck did I do back then? Well, I, what did I do? <laughs> right. But I had a great neighborhood, grew up in the guys. We, you know, if, if, if it wasn't, if it was cold, we were still outside playing. If it was wet, that was a different story. But we played football. We played Nerf football. We played basketball. We played wiffle ball. I mean, 
that was our Nintendo, right? Right. Our okay. video games were playing with the kids in the neighborhood each and every day. Yeah. Those were our games. So, um, so you know, I I obviously remembered your entire career, but I did not know that you were the number ten overall pick of the nineteen eighty one draft. And for people that are maybe a little bit older, this is the Mike Morgan Joe Carter draft uh, that year. It's a shame, isn't it? What a wasted pick the Giants had that year. Will you stop that? <laughs> Just stop it. So. How did you even find it? I mean, these days it's on MLB Network. It's been built sure. up. It's a really big thing. It's a lot of fun for these kids and the teams and the yeah. whole bit. But in 1981, how do you even find out you're drafted by the San Francisco Giants? Good question. And um, looking back on it, it's even comical because um, I am now the guy that screams, get off my lawn. I was being scouted heavily in high school, right? So then I had a, I had a calendar in my bedroom at home, June 8th. Had it marked, circled, sharpied, arrows pointing to it. Um, so June 8th came, right? Graduation from high school. And we had our local, <laughs> we had a transistor radio in our kitchen, our local station, 1340 WJOL. It's like a little 5,000 watt station. And, you know, my mom and dad used to listen to that every morning, get the, you know, school reports and, you know, what soybeans were going for that morning. Um, and, um, so they knew that the draft was happening. They had the ticker tape back at the, uh, the radio station. So we're, we have relatives and friends in the kitchen, grandparents, and the phone rings. And everybody's like, ah! <laughs> right? And it's one of my buddies from high school. Says, hey, did you get picked yet? I go, come on. Uh, I'm waiting for a phone call. So anyway, on the radio station, the guy's name was Ron Gleason. He still works in radio at WBBM in Chicago to this day. He said, uh, we just received word from New York that uh, the first eight picks of the uh, amateur draft have gone by and Mark Grant has yet to be picked. And I was like, oh my God, I was crushed. I was crushed. The Blue Jays had a pick. Um, they took Matt Williams, a pitcher out of rice, not the Matt Williams that everybody knows. Uh, I wanted the White Sox to pick me. I wanted the Cubs, but the Cubs, but let's see, Cubs picked a pretty good player by the name of, uh, oh yeah, Joe Carter. And then, um, <laughs> and then the White Sox picked Daryl Boston. So there are the two hometown teams, right? So then uh, like two minutes later, he comes back on and said, we just received from New York that the San Francisco Giants have selected Mark Grant in the 10th pick. And I just lost it, you know, hugging my dad, my mom's crying, all my relatives are crying. So that's how I found out on the old transistor radio, 1340 WJOL. Wait a second. <laughs> the Giants did not call you and say we're drafting you? No, no, no. And then I didn't get, back then they had telegrams, <laughs> right? I got a telegram like, I don't know, a day later or two days later, uh, delivered to my house. But I did not get word until after, after the fact, hearing it on the radio, getting the telegram, and then a phone call that the Giants had selected me. Isn't that amazing? A horse? Did some guy on a horse deliver it? <laughs> telegram? This is not yeah. 1912. This is 1981, by the way. I know. I know. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. I never, I never got a call. It's that. I mean, we were putting people in space, Mark. Like, (laughs) we can't figure out a way to pick up a phone and be like, hey, dude, congratulations. Welcome to the Giants. Yeah, when 
when that phone rang and it was my high school buddy, <clears throat> I said to everybody, I said, I hope that's Jim Fry on the phone. I think Jim was the general manager. He had something, uh, it escapes me right now, but uh, with, with, the, with the Cubs, hoping that, you know, because I wanted to be a cub so badly. So, but no, that's, um, gosh, I still have pictures that I look at from that day. And uh, it was, it was a great day because Chris, the giants, what a great tradition as far as, oh my gosh. Right. And I didn't realize that until I got into the organization and met the players, met the staff, and then, you know, getting to meet Willie Mays and Willie McCovey and Mike McCormick and Tom Haller and, Jimmy Davenport, I, I mean, if it, if I wasn't going to be a cover of White Sox, it was great to be. It was great to be a Giant. It really was. We are almost exactly thirty-eight on the day we're recording this. It's almost thirty-eight years to the day where you made your major league debut. That's right, April twenty-seventh, Cincinnati. That's right. That's right. It's tomorrow. Wow! And you're back wow. in Cincinnati right now. Yeah, what do you uh, River. Yeah, Riverfront no longer stands, obviously. Whew. Well, I remember I got the call in Phoenix the morning before. That would be today. My manager, Jack Mull, called me to the ballpark. He said, pack your bags. You're going to the big leagues. I was like, oh, my gosh. And this is a true story. My dad was at work. He was an architect. And I went in my manager's office, you know, touchstone phone. No cell phones back then, folks. Right. I missed out my dad's office number like three times. Because I was so nervous. And I got through to him. I said, uh, hey, what are you doing tomorrow night? He, was go, he goes, uh, nothing. Why? He goes, because I'm starting in Cincinnati. Or uh, the, the next, uh, the day after, because like, it was an off day the next day. So anyway, <clears throat> got to Cincinnati and my roommate was Johnny Rab, catcher. We had roommates back then. Um, the younger guys had roommates. Could not sleep the night before, obviously. Just all fired up, all geared up. And then uh, my mom and dad came and watched me and, uh, yeah, took the loss. Didn't pitch poorly. Uh, Four runs, four hits and six innings, I think is what I saw. Yeah. Not terrible. It's not a, you know. Well, well, the first, and that's the the beauty of baseball reference because you can look up games and, you know, the play-by-play and stuff. Uh, If I remember correctly, my first batter, Eddie Milner, Ball one, ball two, ball three, ball four. Dwayne Walker, ball one, ball two, two run shot. So I gave up two runs without getting it out. And then, uh, and then I think I uh, Parker, Dave Parker hit a double. Anyway, I got out of that first inning, and then kind of you know got my legs under me and got kind of under control a little bit. But uh, yeah, wow, how many years ago, Chris, was that? Almost 40? 38 years. Wow. Wait, I had a full so you, full head of hair, and that was like 80 pounds ago. It's all right. Um, I'm, I'm not far behind you. Um, you were only 20 when you made your Major League debut? Yes. Yeah. I made three starts. Well, I was drafted as a 17-year-old. Didn't turn 18 until October. So... Yes, yeah. and then I started 84 in Phoenix. I believe I, I made three starts, and then I got called up. So, yeah, I was 20 at the time. Pretty you young. Just, how Do you remember, can you put yourself in your cleats in that day, yeah. like how nervous you were? Like, could you even yes. sit? 
Well, first of all, <clears throat> being a baseball fan, uh, not only of the Cubs, but baseball in general, you know, I'm pitching, I'm making my major league debut at Riverfront Stadium, home of the Big Red Machine. All those teams in the 70s. Um, I believe Tony Perez was still with the Tony, but Concepcion was there. Yeah, Concepcion, I think, hit a homer that day. Oh, thanks, Chris. Thanks. No, no, I'm just I'm just here to report <laughs> facts, bud. <laughs> no, right. Tony Tony Perez was either a coach or he was still playing, but Vern Rapp was the manager. And um I I I remember going out there for the bottom half of the first inning after we hit, and I looked down at the mound. And I know it sounds so cliche, but I, I could not feel my feet or my legs. All those thoughts going through my mind. Oh, my gosh, I'm pitching in the big leagues. It was just years ago. I was pitching in high school, um, thinking about Little League, thinking about just I'm going to be throwing against guys that I admired growing up as a kid. Now I'm 60 feet, six inches away from Nick Asaski, um, Dave Concepcion. Um, you know, I'm pitching on the mound where, you know, Tom Seaver once pitched and Don Gullett and um, all those greats, you know. So, uh, you know, I always say when guys are making their debuts, it's like it's a bunch of firsts, right? The first strike, the first out, the first inning. And once that kind of settles in, you got to find your groove. Then, you know, OK, you know, hopefully you get that feeling like, OK, I belong and I'm going to do OK. So, by the way. You talk about joining a veteran-laden Giants team. I yeah. I looked at some of the guys in that starting lineup that day. Can I can I guess? Go for it, brother. Brenly caught. Mm-hmm. Jack Clark was at first. Manny Trio at second. Mm-hmm. Johnny Lee Bones Lamaster at short. Nice. Joel Youngblood was at third. Chili Davis was in center. Jeffrey Leonard was in left. I'll I'll tell you who else was in the lineup. Who's in right? <clears throat> Dusty Baker was on the team. Dusty, Dusty and I were teammates. That's right. Yeah, that was pretty cool. You're, you're not going to more than me. I just admire that man. I just love him to death. He is great teammate, great person. Uh, who's his <clears throat> coolness? I mean, oh my gosh, he's he, cool in his late seventies. I can't yeah. imagine what he was like when he was playing as a player. Hey, you know what? I will say this, Chris. Um, there are guys I can say in my career that I played with that were pretty. That would give you like that feeling of being starstruck. Dusty Baker is like one of those guys to where he walks in a room and it's like, that's Dusty Baker. And if he speaks, I'm going to listen. And if he speaks, it's going to matter. You know what I'm saying? And that's the way I can remember because I remember we had a team meeting once and he didn't say, he said a few words, but the words he said, it was like, wow. Yeah, if he's saying it, it must be true. And that's what we have to do. But no, I, I, I love Dusty. I think he's the best. I really do. I think, and I, I had a hard time telling from the, uh, I couldn't find the play-by-play, but it looked like Dwayne Kuyper might have pinch hit for you. I think he did, yeah. Yeah. What a better guy to have pinch hit for me, right? You know, do you know the inside story of that start, Chris? <clears throat> I don't. There were two bench clearings. In that game? Yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. So, 
I'm pitching, and Ron Oster was their second baseman. So his first time up, I pop him up, foul territory, third base side. Joel Youngblood catches it. I get him out. So I get on the mound, get ready for the next guy. I'm peering in for the sign, and all of a sudden, Youngblood's at third base, playing even with the bag, and hands on his knees, and he yells, top of his lungs. He got you out, you mm-mm-mm-mm, right? So I look over at Joel, and he's like peering into the Reds' dugout. I look into the Reds' dugout, and Oster is like pacing in the dugout, just airing me out. He knows I'm 20. He knows I'm a rookie. He's trying to get in my head, right? <clears throat> so I'm like, wow, what's going on here? So I get out of the inning. I go back in the dugout to sit down, and um, Scotty Thompson and, and uh, Scott Thompson was in the lineup, I believe. Um, he might have been in right. Um, and Joe Youngblood sit down next to me and he, and, and, and blood goes, Hey, 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 Mark, don't, don't let him get, get to you, man. Just, you know, next time up, just kind of, you know, brush him off the plate a little bit. Scott Thompson goes, yeah, just, you know, brush him off the plate a little bit. I go, okay. All right. <laughs> so <clears throat> his time comes up around, get him right in the ribs, just uh, right in the ribs. He throws his bat down and I'm like, Oh gosh, here we go. <laughs> Um, he starts to walk out towards the mound. The bench is clear. No punches were thrown. Um, he goes to first base, big all hubbub. So then I come up the next time, Joe Price, soft tossing left-hander is pitching for the Reds. First pitch is down by my feet. I skip a little rope, get out of the way. Second pitch hits me in the leg. I start to go towards first base. Bench is clear. Frank Robinson wants Joe Price's head on a platter. And that's one thing about Frank. I tell you what, I love Frank too. Frank was a great manager. You talk about making your major league debut for a manager who's a Hall of Famer, Frank Robinson. I mean, that's that's the guy you want. Frank stuck up for his players, man, and he wanted Joe Price's head on a platter. He went after Joe Price, yelling and pointing. I mean, if you if you ever see Frank Robinson, <laughs> you don't want to cross Frank Robinson. Um, but anyway, bench is cleared again, and then it all all uh, came to stop. So so after the game. I take the loss. I get dressed. I meet my mom and dad uh, outside. And my dad comes, you know, I give my mom a big hug and kiss and give my dad a big hug. And he says to me, he goes, you know what, Mark? He goes, some guys, some guys throw shutouts, their major league debut. Some guys get the win, their major league debut. You had two bench clearings. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I just, you know what I wish, Chris? I wish there was more video back then so I could actually go back and see and watch it. Like nowadays, everybody's on an iPhone and you see everything. And so anyway, it was some debut, my friend. All right. You're here. So I know you love baseball, but do you also love NFTs? Well, then this is the perfect place for you. And although the initial sale of the newly released 2022 Top Series 1 Baseball NFT Collection is over, there is still a chance for you to get your own piece of the 2022 MLB season. In fact, the Tops NFTs Marketplace provides the opportunity to buy unopened Series 1 NFT packs as well as individual NFTs of your favorite players and teams from across the league. So you're a Mike Trout fan, you're an Aaron Judge fan, do you love Shohei, do you love Tatis? Vlad Jr., it's all there for the taking. So you're able to snag packs. You can also sell your NFTs right now from your collection 
directly onto Tops NFTs Marketplace. All you have to do, visit TopsNFTs.com for more information. Once again, that is TopsNFTs.com for more information. So you're looking for that next big thing or do you want to sell yours as well? It is TopsNFTs.com for more information. Go do it today. What was your um, first time pitching at Wrigley like? That was awesome. That was that was special. Um, the first time I think it was with the Giants. It was in eighty. It didn't come till later, because eighty four I was up and down. Eighty five I spent in Phoenix. Eighty six I spent in Phoenix. Made the club out of spring training eighty seven, and I got a start there at Wrigley. And it was just like, oh my gosh, once again, here's a kid who just you know sat in the basement and watched Cubs baseball and. Wrigley Field and been there, done that, and went there with his dad. And now my dad's in the stands watching me pitch. I tell you what I did do once, though, Chris. This was later when I was with the Padres because I felt a little bit more comfortable as a big leaguer. I came in relief, and it was the seventh inning, and Harry Carey would sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game, right? So I'm doing my warm-ups, and I said, and he, you know, he stands up, the mic in his hand, and you can hear him. I said, you know what? I'm going to sit back and just re- enjoy this. I don't need any more warm-ups. I'm, I'm probably going to get lit up anyway, so who cares? <laughs> so I take the ball. I just kind of stand on the mound, and Harry's singing, take me out. I'm standing right in the middle of Wrigley Field. I'm in a big league uniform. Stands are packed. It's a great day at Wrigley, and I'm going to enjoy it. So that's that's what I did one time when uh, Harry uh, sang, take me out for the ball game. So it was perfect timing. Did you get lit up? I backed up third like every other guy. <laughs> uh, you're the best. When um, when did you know you wanted to get into broadcasting? Because, I mean, these days, everybody wants to do something afterward. Yeah. yeah. You know, mid-80s, that it wasn't was, a deal. No, it wasn't. I, You know what? Th- this, is, this could be your homework, and you, you can contact me after this, but it's amazing how many former Giants – are and were broadcasters. Mm-hmm. So that leads me to my uh, answer. Kaipe uh, Kruk. I was, you know, I knew I was pretty much toward the end of my career. I, I, I always tell people I quit. I didn't retire. I think you have to be good to retire. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I quit at 31. I was only 31. Uh. But in that time, my last team, I was with the Rockies. Kipe was announcing for the Rockies in 93, 93 with Charlie Jones. And, you know, we would travel together, obviously. And prior to that, you know, I would talk to guys who I'd played with or against, and they were announcing. I'd say, hey, what's it like? You know, I'd pick their brain because I know I wanted to stay in the game, but I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and then that time came to where I hung them up. And I came back to San Diego and I contacted the Padres. They were doing some games on the Prime Network. They were doing like 40 games a year. And um, Rick Sutcliffe was doing some games. Love Sut. Uh, Frank Robinson was doing some games. Kurt Pavacqua, Randy Jones, um, some other guys. They had like a rotating seat in the color analyst chair. So I called and I said, hey, I'd like to put my name in the hat. Maybe there's some games not knowing that you know, I'm just, you know, they'll never call me back. So they called me back and they said, hey, you got three games you can do in uh, September? I said, sure, sure. So three games like turned into six and then six into nine and 
the next year, Channel 4 got the rights for it. And I've been fortunate enough. I got hired by Channel 4. And Chris been there ever since. I mean, it's been quite a ride. It's uh, That's how. But talking to the players I played with that were announcing while I was still towards the end kind of got me really interested. Because they got to come to the ballpark and watch big league baseball. And talk about it. Why can't I do that? Did you always have this big a personality? <clears throat> I was always the class clown, getting into trouble, being a clown. <laughs> yeah, I was, to answer your question. Yeah, I was always in the principal's office. Uh, Mark talks too much. Uh, Mark is too. <laughs> Mark doesn't concentrate. Mark doesn't apply himself. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. Um, Yes, I was. I was, uh, I think, yeah. I mean, uh, my motto in life is, and you've seen it, probably see it on my Twitter page, growing old is mandatory. Growing up is optional. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It is so true. It is so true. And in fact, if people were to type in Mark Grant on YouTube, do you know what, like, one of the first clips is that pops up of you? The umpires. The umpires. And for people that haven't, you know, been privy to this, <clears throat> here we go. Are you going to roll it? Hey, big Eric Greg. We got the big Eric guys Greg. going. For a right-hander, he gets like this, and he'll go. Frank Foley. He's another one of my Frank favorites. Frank Foley. He's kind of like the Rocky of the umpires. He'll be behind the plate, and he'll go. <laughs> and then for a strikeout, he'll go. <laughs> My Dutch favorite. Renner, one of the all-time favorites. He's from the old school. Very vocal. He'll get behind the plane and go, Steroid! One! <laughs> I mean, that is gold, brother. Uh, well, you know what? I Being... The umpires back then were such good guys. I mean, I'm not saying they're bad now. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I, I don't know much of them. I'm sure they're good guys. I mean, there's, you know, 99.9% of them are, are really good guys. But back then, being a reliever and stuff, I got to know the umpires pretty well. You know, I'd be in the bullpen and you, you watch their <laughs> watch their movements and how they call strikes and balls and stuff like that. Um, and then I got to know them a little bit. Maybe, you know, you're in a city and you go somewhere after a game to have a social sparkler and Next thing you know, uh, you know, there's Joe West or there's Randy Marsh or there's John Kibler or, uh, you know, Jerry Davis or somebody and uh, Eric Gregg. Um, but we got to know one another. And I remember one time at Wrigley, I was in the bullpen and Joe West was umpiring at second base and I, and I got his attention. And I did Joe kind of just, you know, the way he did calls a strike. So he pointed to me and he go, he did a wind up and then he went. <laughs> <laughs> This is in between innings, in between innings as they were taking their practice though. So no, I've, I've got a, um, a, uh, a real respect for umpires and their job. It's not a good, it's not a, an easy job to do. So, uh, but I enjoyed meeting the ones I did and became friends with. They were great. Did any of those guys ever see that clip? And come oh yeah. And say, yeah. Hey, oh, you they nailed it. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Uh, that was on, you know what, that was Dave Campbell, just for people that are watching. Soup? We were in Mon- yeah, Soup. We were in Montreal. Uh, you could tell by the stands in the background. He goes, hey, I want to have you on the pregame show. 
you want to do your umpires? And I said, sure, sure. That'd be fun. So he just kind of stood by the camera and he just threw out some names and I went about my business doing that. And, uh, and then this week in baseball got wind of it. And then that's when they had that, they aired it and, and did that. So yeah, that's gotten some pretty good traction, uh, <laughs> over the years. You would have been our go-to guest on intentional talk. I could have told you that you would have been on like three times a year. It would have been yeah. you, man. We would have been pulling you in all the time. Yeah. Uh, How is Kevin is doing, by the way? He's he's become this fake Texan rancher. You know, everybody <laughs> thinks he's just this big old redneck. I'm like, he grew up in Los Angeles. Like, yeah, right. That whole thing, although he has I spent know, like yeah. more than half his life in Texas. And now he's got a sure. ranch about an hour from his home. And Oh, really? Yeah, so he's got he's uh, got like uh yeah he's got like uh cattle out there and like I think Josh Beckett bought bought him a head of cattle or I don't know what you call oh, wow. it. I'm a city kid. So a real know. rancher. Yeah. You, wow. Yeah. Okay. Tell him I said hello. Oh, I will. I will. He's yeah. you know he's great. We still keep in touch. Um, sure. You got traded to the Padres. Yes, probably the best move of my career. But go ahead. <clears throat> what made it the best? Because I was dating my wife at the time, who was still my wife. She lived in San Diego. I lived in San Francisco with the team. Mm. And let's see what happened. We were in Chicago. It was July 4th week. And Dirk Smith was our traveling secretary. And I was in the hotel bar with my best friend, Shocker. And um, we, (laughs) seriously, my best friend from high school, we were having a beer in the hotel bar. Sorry, our traveling secretary, once again, no cell phones, no nothing. He tracks me down. He says, hey, Mud, I got to talk to you. I said, what's wrong? Am I in trouble? He goes, Al Rosen wants to see you. And I go, oh, what did I do now? I'm like, I'm in trouble or something. He goes, I can't tell you. I said, Dirk, you better tell me because you better, you know, am I in trouble? What's good? He goes, no, you're not in trouble. He goes, you got to act surprised. I go, what? He goes, you've been traded. I go, where? He goes, the Padres. I go, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. So we go up to Al's suite and it's uh, Al, Roger, Craig, Ralph Nelson. And they said, yeah, we, we made a deal with the Padres and you're part of it. I said, oh, wow. And, and honestly, I was kind of taken aback because I wanted to be a giant forever. I mean, now, you know, it's not going to happen to a lot of guys. Very fortunate if you do that, like Tony Gwynn uh, with one team. Um, I wanted to be a giant, but. I got the news and then once again, went back to my hotel room. I called uh, Mary, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. And I said, hey, she's like half asleep because it was late at night. Hey, I just got traded to the Padres. She goes, oh, that's great. No, no. I said, you don't get it. I said, said, wake up. I just got traded to San Diego. Uh, Okay. okay, All right. I said, okay, whatever. I'll call you tomorrow. So, yeah. And I've been there ever since, Chris. It's been since 1987. So, I mean, what, uh, you know, wear flip-flops every day. <laughs> well, you only got a front row seat to seeing, you know, the greatest contact hitter I've ever seen. Yeah, Tony was great. Gosh, and you know what's great also is now I get to work with his son, Tony Jr. Mm-hmm. Tony does radio. Working with Donnie is awesome. I mean, my gosh, it's like going to work with your best friend. We yuck it up. We have fun. He's great at his, at his craft. Uh, Jesse and Tony on radio, you know, obviously we traveled together, but seeing it's like 
it's almost like Tony obviously being a reflection of his dad and, and being with Tony senior every day as well. Tony is such a good kid. I he love him. Kid. He I is just fun to be around and just, just a joy. So what's your best Tony senior story that you've got? My best Tony senior story is I loved throwing batting practice to him. Um, and he, we would, I, as an announcer, um, in my younger days, I would go on the road with the team and I'd go out for early batting practice and get a workout and I would throw batting practice. Like, like I did during my career. And so I would throw, get a good workout in and, um, Tony would take BP, but the beauty of it was Chris, that he would say, okay, mud, you can mix it up now. This is great. So I can throw whatever I want, try to get you out or whatever. And he goes, yeah, this was fun. So I tried to throw cutters and curveballs and sliders and change-ups. I would get to like my release point, right? And he would and he would like yell out, curveball, really? Fastball, really? Really, dude? Okay, I know you're good. Thanks for rubbing it in. But uh, that's that's how good, that's how well he saw the ball. And um he was he 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 waved a magic wand, man. Uh, we all saw it firsthand. It was amazing, amazing. And here's another thing I, I admire about Tony. Um, he was always a good hitter, but he really took pride in his fielding. And when he won his first Gold Glove, he actually said that he was more proud of that than his batting title because it was something he had worked on and become became great at. And hence the uh, you know the Gold Glove that he won. You just, you know, like it's one of the joys I have in having kids that are 21 and 16 and they'd ask me how good was so-and-so or whatever. Mm -hmm. And my 16 year old who plays baseball was looking up Tony Gwynn's stats the other day. He's like, dad, he didn't strike out. I was like, no, yeah, he would strike out like five times a month. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. What's the most he struck on a season? Wasn't it like 18 or something, or maybe even the, the number he wore like 19. I know you yeah, got the it, baseball reference up. Yeah, we'll get it up. But there's, there's. But you know, some... you know what the amazing stat, Chris, is that I always love. And in, in, whenever somebody posted on Twitter, I, it just amazes me. You could, Tony could have took an O for thirteen hundred and still batted three hundred. <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable. That is so crazy. By the way, you look great in that brown and gold hat, dude. So this is one of the better ones that I've got. One of the big league lids. They, I love yeah. their, uh, I love their uniforms. I, ever since they made the change to the pinstripes and then kind of the brown pinstripes yeah. and stuff, I'm yeah. a big fan. And that place, I, by the way, I am. I'm really happy that the Padres have a gotten a star in Tatis and obviously Machado as well. They've turned that into the place to be, which is really important when you're the only show in town. Like it yeah. is a fun fun atmosphere it really is attendance is uh doing very very well the last few years uh, that we able to have fans um we are so fortunate to go to petco park every day and it's like anything else uh, and i'm guilty of it i'll admit it you know you kind of get desensitized to your surroundings right because mm -hmm. you're doing it every day right so i myself even have to sit back and soak it in to where like this dodger series this past weekend forty-four thousand. Plus, it was the most. It was the Petco Park 
record history of Petco Park, the most for a three-game weekend series. Uh, but to sit back and, you know, look out at Gallagher Square and it's packed and the seats are, you know, full and it was just an electric atmosphere. It was, it was really, really good. We're lucky. We're very, very lucky. And I, I think it goes to show you that, you know, I mean, listen, we know that San Diego isn't New York, Chicago, L.A., sure. Boston. It's not. But the fact that ownership has put the amount of money it has into payroll when mm-hmm. you're. I mean, right now you're visiting a team in Cincinnati, which has been front and center with the payroll slashing yeah. they've had mm-hmm. and the fans showing up in some brown bags and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I think it's great for the fans of San Diego and for the players. The, it just does something to the entire baseball community down there. Bottom line is uh, Peter Seidler, um, the ownership group, Eric Rupner, president, they, they care. They want a winner so badly. And I don't need to, I mean, it, that's just the fact. Peter Seidler, the owner, you know, part of the O'Malley family back in the day with the Dodgers. Um, baseball's in his blood. He wants to bring a winner, and he is doing everything to try to uh, put together a ball club. Uh, A.J. Preller the same, to try to bring a championship to San Diego. Um, and there's no, there's no doubting that. And that, that does, it rubs off on the fans. Like, Hey, you know what? These guys care. There's they're passionate and they care. They want to win her badly. Did you, um, did you take Tatis's motorcycle and you just ride it <laughs> around town just by your Cause he's not allowed to do that anymore. So we've clarified that. Are you I, that, cause I, I can I, see you shirtless just riding down the piece. Well, yeah, it's uh, I took my Vespa and I, uh, I put it in storage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I actually, I, you know, I actually do have my motorcycle license. I got it like maybe eight, nine years ago, but I, I don't ride now. I, I rode for a little bit here. In fact, real quick story. I got my motorcycle license and, um, had a motorcycle. And one day I went out for a ride. I never had a close call, nothing. Cause living out in East County, you know, go about back roads and stuff, just whatever, get away for, you know, for a while. And I came home one day, like I said, no close calls or anything. And I, I parked it and I got off of it. And I, and I said to myself, I said, what am I doing? I love to ride. It was great. I mean, to get away and just, you know, clear your head and stuff. But I thought to myself, what am I doing? I mean, you know, you're going around a corner, maybe you hit a, rock, a patch of rocks or something or you know, you can't look out for the other guy. I mean, you can't worry about what the other guy is doing, right? So I, I since that day, I don't know what day it was, but since that day, I washed my hands and I said, no more. I can do it. Um, just got a few more minutes with you. Uh, your favorite road city to visit as a player when you were playing? Chicago. Uh, and I'm a little biased, obviously. Yeah, but you know what, though? <clears throat> a couple of things. One is, if I had to exclude Chicago, being the biased Chicagoland kid. Um, I always loved going to New York just because of the buzz of the city. Get in and get out. I probably could live in New York. I, I probably could. I always wanted to play one year with the Yankees or the Mets in my career just to experience it. Never got a chance to do that. Uh, love San Francisco. I love the uh, the culture. I love the, uh, the city. Um, being a giant helped me appreciate that. Here's my sleeper town. You want to hear my sleeper town? I'm ready. One of my favorites, Milwaukee. 
I love Milwaukee. I love America's Dairyland. I love the people of Milwaukee. I love the downtown. It's just there's something about great food. Um, I just love Milwaukee. Big fan. Do you believe the ghost in the hotel? No. You know what I heard about that? I heard guys were going around with remote controls under guys' doors, like changing channels. <laughs> How funny is that? That's great. Isn't that, that is funny? Good. That yeah. is good. Who is the funniest guy you played with? Because I'm sure a lot of people would say it was it was Mud Grant for them. But No, it was, uh, Pete Harnish. Oh my Remember God. Pete? Yeah. Pete's unbelievable. Pete, one of the smartest, funniest guys. He went to Fordham. Um, he told me a story. I mean, he was just, I mean, just nonstop, just one liners. And I've stolen a lot of his stuff too. He said when he was at Fordham, he'd get a call on a Wednesday from the Bronx police department. Hey Pete, don't shave. We need you to line up on Saturday. <laughs> he'd get like, <laughs> and he'd get like 50 bucks. He goes, stand in. <laughs> have you ever met, have you ever met Pete? No. Oh, Casey Candell. You know, I was in Houston in 93 briefly before I got traded in the Rockies. And I'll tell you what, that was one of the fun. In the shortest time I was there, that was probably the funnest team. We had Bagwell, Biggio, Luis Gonzalez, Scott Service, Steve Finley, Pete Harnish, Mark Portugal, Greg Swindell. Um, Pete, uh, I said Pete, Casey. Uh, it was just, oh my gosh, we just, X Hernandez, Dougie Drabeck. We had so much fun on that team. Oh my gosh. <laughs> if I could go back, take me back, Chris, will you? No, no, no. You're good where you are right now. You're good where I you know, are. I'm in, I'm in Cincinnati and I just had my latte. I found a nice little coffee shop down the street. See, there you go. That's all you need. I like to, to find make yourself happy. I like, I like to find the old uh, mom and pop coffee shops and, you know, go experience you, that. You have amazing recall. So I'm going to give you a little quiz time. Then we're going oh, to spin geez. our wheel of moderately interesting things. And I'll let you go call the Padres <clears throat> and Reds. You gave up homers to seven future Hall of Famers. How many of the seven do you think you can name? Mike Schmidt. Yes. Andre Dawson. Yeah, I think he got you three times. I think he's the most. Oh, thanks. Um, Once again, just reporting. Um, Barry Bonds. Uh, he's not in the Hall of Fame. He never hit a home run off me, though, but he hit like 472. <laughs> um, okay, that's two. It's a good list. Uh, it's got to be. a. Um, I'm drawing a blank. You're in. Those you're are the. In, you're in his town right now oh um cincinnati red barry larkin barry larkin yeah that's right uh the other guys that got you are uh rock rains okay ryan sandberg sandberg yeah yeah i hung a slider to him slider speed bat by the way just should have, I should have, I should have pelted him down and away, down and away. His first move was this. That's same like Ryan saying his first move ball on the pitcher's hand. You oh, pitch man. the middle in, you're done. You got to pitch, pitch him down and away. Yeah. Right. Sandberg. It's okay. Really? Well, let's move on. It's not, it's okay. It's all right. He, 
hit a, hit a lot of them. Eddie Murray? Eddie Murray. Love Eddie Murray. He could hit. And, and Gary Carter. Yeah. Love the kid. Yeah. Uh, he was a giant. He, he was a giant when I when he hit the home run off. I think at uh, at then uh, Jack Murphy Stadium. Yeah, I forgot that he was out there for a little bit with the flowing yeah. rocks and everything. Yeah, yeah. Boy, he was good. Um, I believe you drove in two runs in your major league career as a hitter. <laughs> Do you remember who you got the last one off of? Oh. Um... Wow. I know I've got a hit of my, I've got six hits, right? I believe that's what it is. Two RBI. Right. But two of my six hits are off Hall of Famers, Rich Gossage and Greg Maddox. Oh, all right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, who, did, who did I drive in? No, no, no. You got your last RBI of your career actually came against the Giants as an Atlanta Brave. Is this possible? Yes. Yes. I'm trying to think. It was 1990. October 2nd of 1990. There's no way you're going to remember. I didn't remember this guy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was a ground ball to second base. Uh, it was the second to last game of the season. Tony and Will were down to the last day, the next day for the batting title where Tony won it. It was a ground ball to second base, and I drove in Tony Gwynn. Paul McClellan was the pitcher you hit it off of. Yes. Yeah. Well, kind of, yeah. It was Tony that scored, right? I'll have to go look that up. I think I think it was Tony. You, I care about you and just getting the run in. Um, (laughs) Who hit the last homer that you gave up? You remember who? Um, It it was either Ron Gant or Jeff Blauser. It was Ron, and they they were back to back. Oh, here's a little story. That was the last. Yeah, that was at that was at Mile High Stadium. I was a Rocky. My arm was killing me. Not that that's an excuse because I sucked anyway. Um, so who, who was the first one? Or the last one I gave up? Ron Gant. Okay, but before that, Blauser's up at the plate. Gone. Ron Gant. Gone. Next guy, Fred McGriff. He hits a one-hopper seed P-rod to Vinny Castilla at shortstop, knocks him into shallow left center field. He throws him on to first base. <laughs> and that was the last that was the last pitch I threw in the big leagues as a Rocky at Mile High Stadium. I remember that day. I remember that day like it was yesterday. Do you why did you did you know that I was just done? It was over? My yeah, my yeah. Uh, I got called in the next day and I got released. And Don Zimmer, Don Baylor was my manager. Don Zimmer was the coach. Larry Bernard was the pitching coach. Wow. All no longer with us. Wow. That's wow. Um, and that's when I started considering looking, you know, into other vocations and, uh, as far as like the radio TV type stuff. But then in 95, remember the strike here, 95? Mm-hmm. I had team. I had like twelve teams call me. Hey, we need players. I said no. I said sorry. I'm not going to take that route. Um, so I, I said one last go around. I said I'm going to call the Cubs. I called Jim Riggleman and Jim Hendry, um, and I said, Hey, here's the deal. I know you guys are wanting guys to come. You know, replacement players or whatever. I said I don't want to take that route, but I do want to come to camp to try to make the Des Moines team Triple A. You know, I'm, I'm a kid who grew up in Chicago. I want to maybe, if I get that chance to 
to pitch as a cub at the big leagues. They said, sure, you know, we understand your situation. You know, you've pitched seven years in the big leagues. And I said, yeah, I don't want to tarnish that. They said, okay. So I went to spring training that year, made the Des Moines club, pitched in triple A, and then um, never, and then I hurt my shoulder again. So that was the last uh, over here. And then I, I tried to go to Taiwan the next year, 96, shut it down to Taiwan. And then that's when the TV thing came up. And that's leads me to talking to Chris Rose today. Sorry. How about that's all right. Hey, life's good. Did you talking cry when, you. It, when it was done, by the way? <clears throat> yes, I did. I wrote, I remember I was on a flight. Back to Ty- back to San Diego from Taiwan, and I got a piece of paper and a pen out, and I wrote a letter to my dad. Hmm. Yeah, kind of like a thank you letter. So, yeah. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for. Uh... <laughs> I love that. No, That's so that... sweet. What'd you tell? No, me? yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I told him just how much I loved him, how much uh, you know, time and effort, and all that stuff. How nice is that, man? Seriously, yeah, I know me. you're getting emotional, but yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But isn't that what it's about, man? Being able to yeah. share these moments, whether you're a son or a dad or yeah. anything like Yeah, because the one thing I always tell people is that uh, when my dad came home from work, um, I wanted to play catch. He never said no. And that's always stuck with me. Yeah. It's pretty cool, huh? I had a great dad. I have a great dad. It's pretty awesome. I need another. La- I need another latte. We might have to. We might have to throw a little something extra in it after this. This is not. This isn't Oprah, man. We're not supposed to be doing no, this. Stuff, but it is good. You know what? It is good to get all the feels because that's what this shit is about. I got to be honest with you. Yeah. Like, no, you're about. right. You're right. Um, I, I have no no regrets of my childhood. Um, I know. You know. We can't pick our parents, but I tell you what. I I. I've got a couple of good ones still. So, yeah. yeah. So great. I mean, yeah, listen, I've been fortunate, you know, for, and I haven't shared this with a lot of people is that our oldest son, Josh, who who's lived in San Diego the last couple of years has just started on as a production assistant on the Padres pre and post game shows. And uh, you were nice enough to look out for him. And he, he texted me the minute you said hi to him on day one. And Oh, really? You know, just as, Oh yeah. As a, he's, like, he's a good kid. He is a sweet kid. He's, yeah, he's a nice kid. He, um, you can tell, you can tell by his actions and the look in his eye and the joy in his eyes that he loves being in the surroundings. And of yeah. course, you know, you being the great dad, you, you know, you being a sports guy and, and 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 loving sports and loving baseball, and that is something you know you passed on to him, which my dad passed on the love of baseball to me. And you can tell the joy and excitement that he has, and uh, it's it's fun to be around people like that, Chris. You are. You're very lucky to have a, a son like Josh. He's a he's yeah, a good egg. Thank he's you. A good I appreciate kid. that. And it's interesting because we didn't. I mean, I'm not short. I'm six feet tall, but he's like six five, real yeah. thin, inked out. He's got the sweet lettuce, the whole bit. Yeah. You know, he's got like the model looks. And I'm like, everybody is like, "Are you sure that's your son?" I was like, "Yeah." Well, you have to ask the wife where she was <laughs> 22 years ago. I love him like he's mine in mud. That's all that matters. Um, I'm gonna spin the wheel of moderately interesting things before we get out of here. Sure. You get to answer this oh this is well you've, you've talked a lot about your wife i want to know how you met her meet and greet um title. <laughs> you know what uh, it's a two-part answer <clears throat> whenever we're out somebody we're we're out and like at a party or something and people don't really know you know we're just getting to know people say hey how'd you meet your wife 
And I'll say, well, she was a dancer at a club and I went in there one night and, we, but, and she goes, really? <laughs> so anytime somebody asks that question, it's like, hey, how did you guys meet? Immediately she starts going. Here we go. Here's your uh, yeah. So I said, no, I, honestly, um, I, I met my wife through a friend of a friend. Uh, there were some teammates of mine out one night in Scottsdale at a, at a uh, at an establishment. Shocker, once again. And uh, we met this group of girls that were uh, at spring break, and we got talking to them. And uh, they said, "Hey, tomorrow night, uh, you know, they had other plans to go somewhere else." And they said, uh, "Tomorrow night, we're going to this place in Scottsdale." I said, and we said there was like me. And like four other guys said, oh, okay, well, well, we'll meet you there. But she wasn't there that night that we were talking. So we went the next night and um, went there and she was there and just kind of introduced to everybody and, you know, just, you know, talking, meeting, greeting. And um, we just hung out and I liked her so much. And I'm, I'm not afraid, ashamed to say this. I liked her so much that when it was time, because she had to go the next day. I extended my hand and I said, Mary, it was very nice to meet you. I hope that we can keep in touch. And that's that was classy. it. That's classy. So that's, that's what happened. Keep in touch back then just to let everybody know. It wasn't as easy. I know. Hey, I'll call you at 10 o'clock on your phone in your apartment or in your hotel room or whatever. How did we get by Chris? I have no, seriously, no, I, I don't know how you, how my parents parented. My kids are out. I'm checking out the, uh, the app to follow them yeah. and stuff. I'm just making right. sure they're driving. Okay. Like for yeah. us, you know, we'd leave the house at six o'clock and come home at two in the morning. They'd be like, yeah, yeah. Hey, what's up? I would be like, yeah. Oh my God, what are you doing? Yeah. And it's, and it's something they won't understand until they have kids. I, and, I, right. and I'll, I'll leave you with, I'll leave you with this. When we talk about parents and stuff like that. It kicked in for me, you know, kids know, they know if your parents love you and everything, but here's when it kicked in for me. When I had kids, I finally realized how much my mom and dad loved me. That's when it kicked in. Ah, now I get it. Mm-hmm. Mom, leave me alone. Dad, why, why? Why are you asking me that? Leave me alone. I'm good. Well, now I know. Definitely know. Yep. It is the great equalizer somewhere down the road. Yep. But I know this went a little bit longer than you probably anticipated, but I just, I got lost in it. It's awesome. That's all right. It's all good. I'll see you down. I'll see you down in San Diego. You tell Don and the rest of the crew, I say hello, please. I, I will. And uh, surprise me again with a big old bear hug like you did last time we saw each other in San Diego. Absolutely. I will do it. Special shout out to our producer extraordinaire, the one and only Robbie Chiracco for Mark Mud Grant. I am Chris Rose. We'll see you next time on the Chris Rose Rotation, a production of John Boy Media.